Listen, all you New Yorkers. Hello. I hope no one's eating dinner. Something like that. What's up, everybody? It's 10 o'clock on Monday night, which means it's time for the next best thing. Dear Jesus. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Well, get ready. Don't go anywhere. We have a great, 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 great show lined up for you tonight. I can't even contain myself. But before we get to any of that, we'd like to kick the show off by doing what we always do, and that is review all of the great and the not-so-great things that have happened on... This Day in History. Today is April 3rd, and on this day in history, in 1776, George Washington received an honorary Doctor of Law degree from Harvard College. On this day in 1860, the first Pony Express riders left St. Joseph, Missouri and Sacramento, California. The trip across country took about 10 days, and the whole enterprise only lasted about a year and a half. On this day in 1865, Union forces occupy Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia. On this day in 1936, Richard Bruno Hopman was executed for kidnapping and murdering the Lindbergh baby. On this day in 1949, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis debuted on radio on The Martin and Lewis Show. The NBC program ran until 1952. On this day in 1953, TV Guide was published for the first time. Remember that? On this day in 1967, the U.S. State Department said that Hanoi might be brainwashing American prisoners. On this day in 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his mountaintop speech just 24 hours before he was assassinated. On this day in 1972, Charlie Chaplin returned to the U.S. after a 20-year absence. On this day in 1979, Jane Byron became the first female mayor of Chicago. On this day in 1982, John Chancellor stepped down as anchor of the NBC Nightly News. Roger Mudd and Tom Brokaw, Tom Brokaw took over as co-anchors of the show. On this very day, April 3rd in 1986, the U.S. national debt hit $2 trillion. Holy crap! On this day in 1993, the Norman Rockwell Museum opened in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And last but not least, taking a huge leap here, on this day in 2010, the first Apple iPad was released. Oh, of course, we all remember where we were the moment the first iPad was released, am I right? No, no one gave a crap then and no one gives a crap now. Anywho, as we always say, that's what happened on this day in history. And who knows, perhaps we'll make history right here tonight on Radio Free Brooklyn and be studied for years to come. But who are we kidding? Probably not. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. Stay tuned. Oh yeah.
Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No, but it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Anywho, it's been a week. It's been a busy week. It's been a crazy week. I feel like I say that every week because I feel like that's true every week. Before we get into what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. If at any point throughout the broadcast you hear an item you would like to discuss or feel there's a tidbit that you could contribute to the show, by all means, feel free to call in. The call-in number is 718-928-9732. Again, that's 718-928-9RFB-9732. Or if you don't want to be heard on the air because you're a little bashful, no problem, you can tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. Or go ahead and like us on Facebook, follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page, stuff that we talk about in any given episode, information, links to pertinent sites, all that stuff usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT radio. Also, if you're really feeling like you want to go all out and write more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall, you can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestradio at gmail.com. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page, and donating a little something-something to keep us in business. If you like what you hear tonight, well, a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more after that. Uh, if you feel so inclined, you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt. Again, that's rfb.nyc slash nbt. And the last thing I'll tell you before we get on to the important cool stuff is that all episodes of The Next Best Thing are now available on iTunes as podcasts. Holy crap, that is huge news. It actually happened weeks ago, but every time I say it, I just get a little excited because it's huge. If you ever miss an episode of The Next Best Thing, which, come on, let's be honest, you miss most of them, uh, you can go to the iTunes store or check the podcast app on your iPhone. Just type in The Next Best Thing, click on our logo, which I trust you know, and there you will find literally all of the past episodes. You'll see the title so you can pick and choose which ones pique your interest or which ones just simply sound the most bearable. Listen to those, and if you have a few minutes... Rate us, review us, tell a friend, tell a relative, tell an enemy, do whatever you got to do to spread the word, because the word of mouth is how we grow. Oh, man, that was exhausting, wasn't it? It was for me. I'm sure it was for you, too. So, that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything... Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. All right, folks, I apologize for those... Slight technical difficulties there. As I just said, we are fully listener and producer supported, and that's why we need your money. We need your money so that we can make sure that technical glitches, little flubs here and there, just don't happen. 
So anywho, but hey, that's what makes us homey. That's what makes us lovable. And I'm going to stop talking about it right now. You know, it's been it's been a it's been a beautiful day, but it's been a bit of a rough day. If you've been listening to Radio Free Brooklyn for the past hour or so, you know that today was the opening day of the Major League Baseball season. A very celebratory, should be fun and anticipated day. I say should be because it always is until something like today happens. My team got its ass kicked by one of the worst teams ever. And I just don't know what to do with myself. Um, we're going to talk about baseball and kind of the culture of sports in America in the second hour of the show. But for the first hour, uh, usually, as you know, if you're a long time continuous listener, which I know all of you are, we start things off by talking about what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world. We're going to do that a little bit, but we have a very special guest tonight, which is very exciting and very exciting for all of you because she's very knowledgeable and very, very passionate about a certain presidential candidate, one we've talked about many times on this show, one I certainly feel strongly about. And so we're going to do that in just a few minutes. What the topic we will be talking about is kind of not just Hillary Clinton as a candidate, but kind of the whole presidential election process. And really, at this point, hell, the office of the presidency. Is it going to exist in six months? Are we going to exist in six months? Who the hell knows? We can only hope, but hey, as I've said many times, we did this to ourselves, and when I say we, I mean you, and you know who you are. Okay, so who are we going to be talking about? Well, I've already said it once, and I'll say it again. Actually, I'm not going to say it again. I'm going to play something, and listen very carefully. What is it about you that pushes people's hot buttons? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I don't know. One gets the impression that, excuse me, you're really not... all that interested possibly in state dinners and teas and garden parties. Can a first lady be both popular and opinionated? Do you like doing stuff, Hillary, like saying, I like that um, yellow tablecloth? Do you think the American people are ready yet to have a first lady who has strong opinions? You're not Martha Stewart? And millions of other people see you as a very threatening person. Scripted, cautious, right. safe, well, but I think armored. Part- what about the comparisons to Lady Macbeth? Do you think it's because you're a powerful woman? Does it hurt you when people say you're too lawyerly, you parse your words, you're not authentic, you're not connecting? The likability issue. Let's get back to the Lady Macbeth imagery. Is this country ready to accept you, do you think? as a national candidate. When Hillary Clinton speaks, men here take out the garbage. Uh, I admire what Senator Clinton has done for America. Um, I'm sure about that code. The majority of Americans say they don't trust you. Men won't vote for Hillary Clinton because she reminds them of their nagging wives. Can you savor being a grandmother and be president? They don't trust you. Well, there are people out there who have this idea that you're not trustworthy, that they don't like you for some reason. What is that about, in your opinion? I suppose I could have stayed home and baked cookies and had teas, but what I decided to do was to fulfill my profession, which I entered before my husband was in public life. One cannot live one's life based on what somebody else's image of you might be. We so often are put into one box or another so people can deal with who we are as they define it. All right. I think we all know who that was. 
Those clips, it's interesting to note, took place between the years of 1988 and 2015. And I don't know how your ear is for voices, but the interviewers were people like Katie Couric. Katie Couric was on there multiple times asking questions about Lady Macbeth. Let's talk about your whole Lady Macbeth image. Do you think that, you know, people are really ready for a strong first lady? She asked her at one point, Aren't, are you not Martha Stewart? I mean, first of all, take the sexism out of it. I mean, obviously, Katie Kirk is a woman. But um, are you not Martha Stewart? That was a real question asked on an actual television program? All right, so you get where I'm going. So, yeah. Hillary Clinton, people like to think of, they like to think to themselves, and I don't know if it's to make themselves feel better about how the state of things are, or if they're just in a state of denial, which could very well be the case, but they like to think that she lost the election, and it had absolutely nothing to do with sexism, misogyny, you know, all of those nasty words like racism, bigotry, prejudice, Words that we like to pretend don't exist anymore. Words that we like to tell ourselves are old news. Those are things that used to be relevant. They're not anymore because, hey, it's 2017. And let's not forget, we did have a black president. And so, hey, racism is over. Well, no, not exactly. In fact, I would argue that racism is about about as prominent, scarily relevant, and visible now, as it's been more so than it's been in my entire lifetime. So it's kind of really the opposite effect. The Barack Obama effect is not what people seem to think, or at least not what honest people seem to think. So joining us tonight to talk about it is Zara Levin-Fragasso. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, She's an extremely accomplished attorney and an associate with the Lanier Law Firm. Uh, She practices in the area a plaintiff's products liability and is the chair of the special committee on drugs and the law at the new york city bar association uh, a graduate of bard college and the catholic university of america columbus school of law she was also an ardent she is excuse me is also an ardent hillary clinton supporter and was a volunteer lawyer for the hillary clinton campaign Uh, She joins us now to talk a little bit about what that experience was like and to discuss some of the feelings, some of the feelings we're all dealing with, even if you weren't a Hillary Clinton supporter. I'm going to just go ahead and say some of the feelings that most reasonable people are feeling right now about the current situation and all that's gone down since that awful day, that awful, awful day in November the election. I'm obviously talking about the election. So, Zara, thanks so much for staying up and being on the show tonight. My pleasure. I'm I'm glad to be on tonight, John. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for doing it. So, so you heard the little montage of questions asked. Those were all interview questions asked to her face. Um, Were you, does it surprise you that a lot of the questions were coming from women, very prominent women such as Katie Couric, Barbara Walters, uh, Diane Sawyer, and the like? No, unfortunately, I'm very familiar with many of those clips um, as an Arden Hillary supporter. It also doesn't surprise me that other women have bought into a cultural narrative that paints powerful women, ambitious women in a certain light. That is an an unfortunate... um, reality of the world in which we live. Do you think, so Diane Sawyer asked, 
Can you be a successful working woman and a grandmother? Katie Couric brought up that that Lady Macbeth thing. Granted, those were, that was in the early 90s, but I had never heard anyone reference Lady Macbeth. I mean, do you think they were, were they thinking like those were just questions that, hey, this is what the people want to know? I think it's alarming. Again, um, I can't get into their heads. I do know that even today, professional women have to face questions like, um, you know, how do you balance, you know, taking care of your children and having a career? That's unfortunately something that we tend to continually ask women, whereas those questions are not always shifted. Nobody, It's not a typical question. They're not going to turn to Bill Clinton and say, well, you know, how do you think you can be president and still take care of your daughter? No. And so that's an unfortunate, you know, cultural sex, excuse me, an unfortunate doctrine that's built into our um, narrative and who's fallen into the caretaking roles historically. Right. So I want to play something now. It's a kind of a bit of a contrast to what we just heard. It's a montage of people who actually have rather good things, really kind of complimentary things to say about Hillary Clinton. And um, we can discuss it afterwards. There's kind of a, um, well, a little bit of a twist. So here, we'll take a listen. She's dedicated to her job. She loves her country. I think she is a good role model, one of the most effective Secretary of States, greatest ambassadors for the American people that I've known in my lifetime, Secretary Hillary Clinton. Uh, she'd be terrific. I, I served with her in the Transformational Advisory Group with the Joint Forces Command. She, she's knowledgeable. She's tough. Uh, I think that she would be a very aggressive uh, defender of the military in terms of what it needs and its budgets and its concerns. Uh, I'm not sure she would have quite as much fun. I think she's probably having a better time being Secretary of State. I think Secretary Clinton is an intelligent, hardworking professional. President Nixon, I would like your opinion on Hillary Clinton's role in the administration. She's obviously taking an extremely active role. She's heading up the health care reform task force. Do you think that's a good idea? Let me say this. I certainly wouldn't take on Hillary uh, because she is a very intelligent, very strong, very effective first lady. Uh, I think it's very appropriate for her to do what she believes is the right thing to do. Uh, I go back a few years. I knew Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, other first ladies over the year. Each was different. I admired and respected all of them. And as far as Hillary Clinton is concerned, with her great abilities, her intelligence, and her strong beliefs, she can be a very effective help to her uh, husband, the president, and I think the American people will like it. That sounds like an endorsement to me. I've known her and her husband for years, and I really like them both a lot. I think she really works hard, and I think she does a good job, and I like her. Hillary Clinton, I think, is a terrific woman. I mean, I'm a little biased because I've known her for years. I just like her. I like her, and I like her husband. I think she will be. I know her very well. She's very talented, and she has a husband that I also like very much. I think Hillary would have, Hillary's always surrounded herself with very good people. I think Hillary would do a good job. Hillary Clinton's coming out with a new health care plan the other day. Uh, I think it was very good. I think she came out with an idea. It's a very, very complex set of things going on right now in terms of health care. But she came out with an idea. It sounds like a pretty good idea. All right. So that was yes. Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham, Newt Gingrich, Richard Nixon, and, of course, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. So not only are Republicans, but, I mean, Lindsey Graham is a current senator. He's the serving senator of South Carolina. Donald Trump, we all know who he is, unfortunately. Richard Nixon, not exactly who you want an endorsement from, but 
was elected twice, uh, you know, a Republican president. And he had, I mean, that was pretty complimentary things. Newt Gingrich fought tooth and nail against the Clintons. And most of them, not most of them, all three who are still alive, did again in 2016 and just had vicious things to say. So I guess my question is, what what could have possibly happened? I mean, to hear Lindsey Graham talk about how she is an, a role model, an example for women, you know, young women in America. How can they say the things they said then? No one really even seemed to ask them how they could flip on a dime like that. No one brought that up about, you know, like... That's a larger cultural issue right now that we're having. Again, I would need the dates of, you know, each quote in order to pin that down to them when they flip and say, you know, and spew vitriol about her. Well, uh, Donald Trump, I mean, I take him out of the equation only because nothing he says can be taken seriously. Right. He'll, he'll say one thing today and something else tomorrow. But with Lindsey Graham, that was a some, you know, kind of like award ceremony that took place after she had already left Secretary of State. So it had to have been in like... 2013 that was glowing i mean in newt yeah. gingrich he i mean he hates the clintons and he said those things about her so it's interesting to hear republicans talk about her like that and then think about how a lot of democrats were talking about her during the election you know what these guys were saying that we just heard did sound genuine a lot of the stuff i heard from democrats it just it didn't i never trusted it what is the deal I think those are two separate issues. First, the one about the glowing comments coming from Republicans. Again, we unfortunately, our politics are very nasty. They are, you know, split down party lines. And so when you are entering an election cycle, parties, um, the party takes its um, stance and stands behind its party. Honestly, we saw more shifting, at least in terms of people coming out and Republicans saying they would never support Trump in this election cycle than I can remember in any election cycle in my lifetime, and that still didn't do the trick, unfortunately. Well, most of them kind of fell back in line, though. Most of them did, yes. There were there were um, different groups that came out in support of her. Um, a fellow Catholic uh, University of America alum actually started the Republican Women for Hillary, um, Jen- um, Jennifer Parati Lim. So that was a very impressive thing to see, and... We were hopeful for a while that that would sway things. I saw a lot of, you know, real moderate Republicans or, you know, true Republicans and not this kind of far-right Tea Party that has sprung up who were never Trump people. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to get behind the, I mean, just the, like, crassness of the Trump campaign as well as the ties to Russia. The other issue in terms of, I guess, what you're getting into with the Democratic Party and how, or how current progressives, because again, like we can thin slice that, there's more nuance there. You have the umbrella of the Democratic Party, and then you have this very, you know, quote-unquote progressive faction um, that is split off, and, you know, the Bernie Sanders and, you know, whatever falls under that umbrella. And I think there, there's many issues going on. Like we have, this is a multifactorial analysis of this election. There's so many different factors came into play to create this perfect orange storm Mm-hmm. and we um that we now face and so i think that you you know you're dealing with people feeling economically disenfranchised you're dealing with um other groups of people who are feeling that their way of life is um gone and that they're being left behind you have young people who feel like they don't have the opportunities that they should have and so everybody is you know looking for somebody to blame and 
that became the political establishment, right? That was the big language of this election cycle, is that the political establishment and Wall Street, and that's all bad, and we're going to turn, you know, you know, almost throw the baby out with the bathwater um, in terms of looking at what is good about our system, what we want to salvage about our system. Uh, people wanted something different. They wanted outsider. I definitely think there's, you know, many layers of sexism that played into how um, Clinton was treated in this election. That's kind of the one thing that people don't want to talk about. And, yeah. and I have, you know, people will say, no, it wasn't that we didn't, that we don't want, or that we don't like women, we just didn't like her. And that's an easy thing to say because there's never been a woman nominee before. And there's never been a woman like her before. I don't right? think there so ever will be. Without, I don't either. Uh, that's, I think that's a really fair point because if you look at, I've had a lot, I've, you know, I've heard comments from people, oh, well, you know, you only wanted the first woman president, you're only voting for her because she's a woman, and that was patently false. No. Yes, I was very excited that this, you know, was hopefully going to be the first female president, but I was excited that it was this candidate who was going to be the first female president. There has never been anybody as qualified as this woman in the history of the U.S. presidency. And the country, not only are we at a detriment right now because of who is leading our nation, we're at a detriment because we're missing out on having this incredibly experienced and qualified candidate, reasoned, clear-thinking, poised, all the things that I would want in a president mm -hmm. – um, we, we are missing out on having the opportunity of having her as our leader right now. Um, and then you parallel that to who actually is our leader. <laughs> and it makes me really angry. I mean, like, that's yeah. the thing. Anytime I bring this up on the show, whether it's, I mean, you can't talk about the news without talking about something dealing with Trump. And if I'm just talking about Trump or something that he is doing that's going on right now, that's one thing. But then when I start thinking and talking about, what went on during the election and what could be happening, what we could be dealing with mm -hmm. and enjoying right now. I just, I still just get so angry about it because, you know, there have been campaigns run on change since forever. I mean, like I, you can, yeah. you can look back at campaign footage. I mean, Bill Clinton was the hope and change candidate of 92. Um, obviously Barack Obama, that was his big thing. But like this, I mean, for people to want change I actually remember seeing footage of George H.W. Bush saying at one point, I think it was either at a speech or maybe a debate, saying, well, you know, change for change's sake is, you know, is just kind of a, a silly thing to really go for. Here's, yeah. here's where it's kind of like, when in the world and in what other profession would anyone think we want change so badly that we're going to elect not just someone with no experience at all, but who is as outrageous and offensive. That video that came out from Access Hollywood, how yes. in the world? To some people, I think, unfortunately, he's seen as he's honest, It's which, you know, again, with the politics, I think he has, his truth rating is something at like 20%, which that even seems high. Mm -hmm. But to some people really liked it. They thought that he's... Um, honest he's a you know he's abrasive he doesn't care he's not playing the game and they perceive certain you know crassness as being a tough guy and what you want you know what you want in a leader i think you know voting voting can be a very emotional thing when hopefully it should be more of an intellectual experience but i mean it's both i think i shouldn't say not hopefully it's there's definitely an overlap between the two experiences but one would hope that the intellect would guide emotion and it, it's not i mean people vote based on you know what's important to them and an emotional reaction. And unfortunately, after decades in the spotlight, Hillary has been subjected to, subjected to 
this total character assassination, mm-hmm. first of all. And, I mean, I've had friends who, I mean, dear friends uh, who I've, you know, known for decades who I couldn't speak to. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they voted for Trump. The election. No, 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 oh. nobody, I've, nobody <laughs> voted for Trump, but Stein, I had a lot of people who oh, voted right. for Stein or hardcore Bernie people. And it was, I mean, look, Trump ran an incredibly divisive campaign. Mm-hmm. And so what's, you know, been left in the wake of that, of his, you know, victory, which was not the biggest victory in the history of victories. Smallest, one of the smallest. Contrary to, contrary to what he might think, there is a thing called math. Um, mm-hmm. And that that divisiveness of that campaign did exactly what it was set out to do. It divided people. And the country is already in a you know point where there really are two Americas right now, which is truly unfortunate when you think about our history and what leaders have done to keep this nation together. And we are incredibly divided right now, and we shouldn't be. I mean, we really should be looking at what is in the common interest of this country as opposed to, I think there's just an overall trend, and maybe like the social media of our culture, and I, I say this with pause, that, I mean, there is some, you know, I always think of JFK's quote, right, ask not what um, you can do, um, your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And I almost think we've gone to the opposite of that. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. Asked what what, there's a culture of entitlement, and that's on both sides. And I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of flack for saying that, but I think that people, and not that that we shouldn't have certain things. Like, I mean, I'm all for single-payer health care, and we do need to deal with the student loan crisis. But there's such a culture of expectation that you're supposed to be taken care of without actually participating in the process. And if anything good has come out of this, debacle is that I think people on the left are starting to engage more in the political process. Now, that doesn't mean it's always, you know, guided people, but they're, they're getting an education, in which I don't think, unfortunately, and say what we will, you know, I mean, I don't necessarily have to obviously agree with the views of the Tea Party, but you did have this grassroots movement where people became engaged and really changed what the, you know, electoral mm-hmm. map um, on a state and local level looked like. And liberals, I think, just kind of kicked back and assumed that... They were too yeah. crazy to be taken seriously. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, first of all, when, when you talk about the fact that, you know, the kind of separation between wanting Hillary Clinton to be president or just wanting the first woman president. When I think of it, to be honest with you, the fact that she was a woman just was... The, the fact that she would have been the first woman president was kind of a byproduct. I mean, like, she... Yes, because I think that is important. I think that would have been huge in a, like... A, a really kind of long overdue glass ceiling for us to bust through. I mean, so many other countries have done it long ago. But the fact of the matter is, when you it's funny because, you know, you're talking about people liking a tough guy. Well, honestly, when I think of her experience and what she has had to deal with, not just on a professional level, but on even probably more so a personal level, like her family, her marriage, her the way she acts and the way she thinks and looks and this and that and like just constantly since the day Bill Clinton certainly became governor of Arkansas probably filed the papers to run as governor for governor of Arkansas. I mean this woman though dating you know from back when she was president of the Wesley Young Republicans and the first you know student speaker to speak at their graduation all the way through you know like being first lady of Arkansas to First Lady of the United States, being the, you know, starting the Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families. Like, that's a fight. It's so funny because a lot of the Bernie people, the hardcore Bernie people, will talk about how she was too 
far right for them. And one of the examples they give is health care. Talking about, well, Bernie's the one saying that he wants a yeah. single universal health care. And I think to myself, look, no, I mean, Hillary Clinton, the crusade she went on, that's what, uh, yes. that's why Katie Couric asked Richard Nixon about that. That's why she brought her up in that interview is because she was pushing the what used to be called Hillary Care. And she was completely attacked for it. And like it really. And she was the first person to do that. Right. I mean, and she and got destroyed for it. And so she probably learned from it, knew how she could take what we've done so far with Obamacare and work it so that eventually, little by little, step by step, we get to where we want to be. That's what you have to do, people. Come on. Right. I mean, I think that's it. Is that people have also, I mean, change is incremental. Um, and everybody wanted everything immediately. And, you know, Bernie's getting up and making promises that he never could have been able to deliver no. on based on. No. The way things are right now, but I mean, also even if they weren't that way, these are you know, there's a budget, there's financial considerations, there's you know, numerous considerations that come into you know implementing policy. And I don't think, I mean, like there are certain things I really like about um, Bernie Sanders, but ultimately, I mean, one of my, I think my biggest pet peeves with Bernie is that he's not a Democrat, and yet he has taken it upon himself to completely reshape the Democratic Party and is making oh, the Democratic Party has you know lost the election. Um, I think that was a few days ago he came out with um, some grandiose statement to that to that nature. And it's like, if you want to reshape the Democratic Party, then join. But right. right now you're an independent. Right. And there's something about that that I find particularly unsavory. He also, you know, he hasn't had to compromise to the same extent that she has, given the positions that she's held. And he didn't have the foreign policy experience. I think that's, you know, everybody's focusing on, oh, we need this, you know, domestic. And, you know, she was... He he pulled her further left, which is what people wanted, and I think that was a good thing. I also don't think she was anywhere near as far right as people no. wanted to believe. I think that Bernie allowed her to see that she could go further left and have it be acceptable. Well, the thing but is, is I, that she's painted as this. I mean, wall, you know, Wall Street. Almost, I mean, you would think, like, I mean, almost as the Koch brothers. Well, for as long as she's been in public life, and it's a very long time, and all the work she's done, and all the positions she's held. If after all those years and all of the deep digging and hired hands that were looking for anything on her to use and to destroy her with, after all of that, the best they could come up with were emails, emails. and Benghazi. And it makes what makes me so mad is that, is that those are non-stories, and yet people seemed to, to, to buy it, to, to well, talk also, about it. I mean, I think, again, this goes, this loss, It'd be a devastating loss, not for the Democratic Party, but for America. There are so many factors that came into play, right? You know, we're looking at the economic factors. We're looking at people feeling like they've, you know, or actually being left behind, losing their jobs. Their way of life is being, you know, wiped off. Um, you have the rise of social media, reality TV. Trump is a reality TV star. He's been in people's homes for years. You know, there's a relatability factor um, because of that. This, you know, bombastic nature. People think that he's being honest because he's, you know, loud and gruff and says inappropriate things. I think people sometimes equate um, inappropriateness with honesty, and that's that's a false equivalency, unfortunately. I mean, to call him honest at this point is kind of like... No, I mean, there are. I mean, there's people who are really regretting their votes. They feel like they were conned. Um, but, you know, you had, you had issues. You have, like, you know, Bill Clinton coming out and talking down to people and, you know, basically saying, you know, you're stupid for believing this. 
And that's not going to convince anybody to not vote for somebody. That's going to feel like, oh, you are that liberal elite that is talking down to me. Um, you're not reaching out a hand to try to understand my struggles. The thing that, you know, I mean, also her campaign, I mean, there were definitely issues that she didn't go to Wisconsin and Michigan, which were, first of all, states that Bernie won in the primary. Like, that's a really important, you know, hmm. that's a really important detail in all of this, is right. that we were, you know, we were sure that she was going to hold the election, like, you know, as, I'm, as I was sitting on, like, 538, <laughs> refreshing every minute, you know, in the month leading up. It was holding that blue wall, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and, um, Wisconsin, Minnesota, like she had to hold that in order to win. And I'm like, that was like the big, that was the math that we were all focused on. Well, you can lose, you can lose um, North Carolina, you can lose Florida, you can lose Ohio. Always knew, I, I always knew we were going to lose Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, that just never looked good. Um, and But you, what you would see again is that a lot of, you know, people around my age who are in liberal bubbles did not see that. I mean, I had people say, oh, Texas is going to go blue. Um, we're going to get everything. People are so repulsed by this. And there's a certain naivety and arrogance that I think came from people who were living within this bubble. And, you know, these are people who are, um, I guess, would technically be in my peer group, that not recognizing that this is a very large country, there's, there, it's extremely diverse, and there are all these issues at play. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everybody thinks like you, and not everybody is going to find his speech um, repugnant as, you know, horrifying that as that is. The other thing you have is that a lot of people were saying they weren't going to vote for him because they didn't want to be, oh, well, this sounds, this guy is disgusting, like I don't want to be associated with him, but they did think that he would be helpful economically and would lie and say they weren't going to vote for him and then, you know, were. That was being reported as well. But getting back to like the uh, Michigan and um, Wisconsin um, issue, I think these are some really, you know, interesting numbers for anybody who tells you that, you know, Jill Stein didn't matter or Gary Johnson didn't matter in this election. She lost, I think also she had taken Bernie as her running mate. That might have, you know, changed things if they could have, you know, reached some agreement. I think that would have carried it. But so hmm. Bernie won Wisconsin and Bernie won on the Michigan primary. Um, she took Pennsylvania. Now, Wait, she took Pennsylvania of, in the primary? She took Pennsylvania in the primary. And then she lost? Wow. Hmm, okay. Um, and so Wisconsin has 10 electoral votes. Michigan has 16. Pennsylvania has 20. And... She only lost Wisconsin by 22,748 votes. Jill Stein took 31,072 votes. That's the, I mean, there you go. Mm-hmm. So Jill Stein was the difference in Wisconsin. And what was Michigan, uh, like 10,000 votes? Michigan was uh, even worse. So she only lost by 10,704 votes based on the Michigan <laughs> the Board of Elections results and uh, my math. And it's, um, Stein took 51,000 463 votes. Mm-hmm. So that's that's it right there. Those are 26 electoral votes that she sh- you know should have had. And again, she didn't go there. That was I don't know who she was listening to or what you know executive decisions were made that we just neglected this territory while Trump was out there. And you saw that that last weekend. He was campaigning. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he li- he's up. still campaigning. That's what he likes to do. That's all he wants that to do. That is true. But he was he went he knew where to break this wall. See, I think you're giving him too much credit. I don't think he's that smart. I honestly just think he loves the campaign. He loves the adoration, and it empowered him a bit. I saw it happening. On I was like, I mean, MSNBC started, you know, finally covering more of these rallies, and I don't think that there was enough coverage of what was going on at the rallies. It was a completely well, really. I, that kind of surprises me, just because so many people have said, and and I tend to feel like there was too much coverage of his rallies. We were looking at how, oh, he's so ridiculous, all the crazy things he says, and he said, all these nuts things he say, says, and then emails, emails, emails. 
So it's this bizarre coverage of, you know, her emails and he's crazy, but also taking him, you know, seriously. I think the media, like, really did a disservice in legitimizing his candidacy, that, you know, this was anything more than a reality TV star uh, running for president. And, you know, he knew where to – but they did. They, they ran a really good campaign towards the end, and they knew where to break in, and she didn't go to these places. So I don't know if she – you know, she's listening to some, and I mean, I'm, I guess I'm technically a millennial. I, I can say this. You know, some young person in Brooklyn is like, you know, we don't need to go here. And there was a certain naivety about what what is happening on the ground in, like, other parts of the country. And – that that like that didn't click and compute in some way and you know she didn't go there so she you know people felt neglected and that fed into that you know not showing up when people were already feeling left behind you already have a clear indicator you know by the fact that you didn't take the primary in both of these states mm-hmm. so you the were because Pennsylvania she actually lost by Stein wasn't the difference so that's sort of like um, but... she lost by sixty eight thousand two hundred and thirty six votes in Pennsylvania. And Stein only took forty-eight thousand nine hundred and twelve. But Gary Johnson would—it was like well over the difference in all of these states. I mean, that's another thing. And one, something I thought was really interesting is that uh, Bill Weld, Gary um, Johnson's running mate, was the, during the last month leading up to um, the election, was very, very uh, gave glowing statements on Secretary right. Clinton, and, right. you know, saying how unfairly she's been treated, almost to the point of endorsing her. Right. Well, and frankly. I think, obviously, Gary Johnson would have been more qualified than Donald Trump. But frankly, based on the little coverage he got, he was unqualified. He didn't, I mean, not yeah. knowing what Aleppo was, that should have ended it. And he should have ended it there. I'm sorry, yeah. but like... No, they, I mean, both he and Jill Stein had no business staying in. And Bernie shouldn't have stayed in as long as he did. I believe it was mathematically impossible for him to win after um, March or April. Yeah. Uh, do not quote me exactly. <laughs> well, no, but, but at least three—I mean, at least two or three months. Uh, well, he wasn't—he didn't endorse her until the until pretty much at the Democratic convention. Right. I mean, and, and had quite the um, you know curmudgeonly expression on throughout exactly. the as well. And you know, then his supporters—they you know—he's the one who really painted her as this elite. Like you know, the Clintons are always you know, dirty Clinton politics, and she ran a nasty campaign. She really didn't run a nasty campaign. No. Particularly in this, Bernie did. Um, I think one of the, you know, one of the things that really got me with Bernie was when he called her unqualified. I thought that was profoundly sexist. And stupid. Uh, Particularly when you're talking to somebody who has far more qualifications than he had. Right. Um, It just sounds stupid. Yes. And then called Planned Parenthood part of the political establishment. Like, uh, that's, (laughs) those two things. I mean, I liked Bernie Sanders. Um, but that uh, those two comments were really, I think, um, deeply offensive on many levels. I like him as a senator. I really do. Yes. I think he's a good senator. I, I think too. he has a, a passionate following, and I think he For can... Vermont. Right. And uh, that's another thing. It's kind of like, when you think about, look, Hillary Clinton, people say she was bequeathed the nomination and it was already, you know, rigged and pre-planned and all that stuff, which is total crap. I mean, total crap. I don't care I what... Mean, there were minor things where I can see if people, you know, again, like... This I can see people being... cultural purity of the left that's... Um, I can see people saying that the DNC and Debbie Wasserman Schultz yeah. had a, a preference, because she did. An agenda, but it wasn't enough to actually sway the... No, and there was no, like, you know, forged votes or anything. There was no fraud or no, anything like people that. people will find news sources now, and I've well, had multiple, you know, multiple people come up to me with news sources. Oh, well, there's you know, hundreds of thousands of, like, uncounted votes that show he actually won in New York. And that's not true. But <laughs> Wait, who? Bernie or Trump? Bernie, yeah. Oh. Um, uh, well... In the primary. You know, there's, 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 so there's t- 
tons of conspiracy theories on all sides. There's tons of false, like fake news, right? The key yeah. words right. today, Trump's favorite words, uh, that are showing that, you know that people with this clickbait that will support any ridiculous position anybody on either extreme side wants to take. Whereas you have to be so incredibly careful in this day and age with the internet and with the way the internet is functioning about what news you decide to ingest. Well, yeah, I mean. Because when I see something posted, when I see an article posted on Facebook or really any social media, the first thing I look at is the hyperlink. Is what would this yes. what would this take me to? If it's not something I recognize or trust or really that's it, then it's oh, then I just don't even bother. Because I mean at this point, you know, honestly, that could maybe I could be missing out on some great independent news thing, but frankly, right now I don't care. I need to be we need no, to be I, more careful. Better to be informed. <laughs> Right. And it's kind of funny because here's when, you know, with all this fake news and all these conspiracy theories and all this kind of stuff, kind of nonsense being in the put into the the water supply. That's when I think to myself, OK, well, when you turn on the networks or whatever and you see people like all of those retired generals and people with military experience coming out saying he would Donald Trump would be dangerous and something could throw our country into such something that would be totally unprecedented when you see all of those people when you see Madeleine Albright when you see former republican political leaders i mean when you see there is a time you know people want to call it elitism but you know what there are people out there who know a little more about certain things than you do, and that's okay. You I know think what? That's, a, that's an unfortunate thing that's happened. Is that I, I want somebody smarter than I am running. Hell yes. That there's no shame in that. That's you want the smartest, most educated human being, most, most experienced human being for this job. Exactly, because this is the most important job we have. Period. And the fact that the job. Whatever is happening in our country right now that has led us to a point where our morality is at a level that we could think it is acceptable to elect this man. And again, she won the popular vote. I understand that. By three million. Is, I mean, somebody who ran just such crude comments, vulgarity, unkind. I mean, there's not, I mean, if we talk about Christianity, there's not a single really Christian thing about this man. I mean, he's been divorced three times, he's an adulterer. And so there's really you know, nothing morally, there's no moral fortitude <laughs> that is no. encouraging about this man, except, no. I mean, his really, it seems that his only religion, his only compass is himself. Well, and you have and to look at his, I mean, like, that's the thing, people... That became acceptable, and to, like, good people. I mean, I, there are, not everybody who voted for Trump is, is a, you know, a racist, or m most people who voted for him probably aren't, but that this mm. somehow spoke to people that we were that they were able to get conned I and mean, that's like the most you know frightening i think thing about it is that they were able to get conned and that they were able to overlook their own values to vote for somebody who really wasn't hillary clinton spouse. right wasn't hillary clinton but also i mean you know that this was the republican candidate i mean that still happened like the republicans had an enormous field and they had decent candidates sure. john Kasich was a decent candidate jeb bush was a decent decent candidate i mean these are i may not agree with them on everything but there are people with strong moral, like a moral core, and mm -hmm. they love America. And right. those are the things that you want from a president. But it also, you also, here's the thing. You know, yeah, I'm sure that some of the people who voted for Trump are people, whatever. But at the same time, and I'm not, no, not all of them are racist by any means. I, in fact, they could disagree with a lot of what he says. But when it, what gets to me 
or what makes me kind of think, but here's where you lose me, is when I think, okay, but it is up to you to do a little more research than just what you hear on talk radio and what you see on television. Like, if you looked into Trump, you would know that, you know, you'd find all this stuff about what Hillary's done and like it or not, but you could at least see what her experience birth is. When you look at Trump and you find that, you know, the Justice Justice Department filed a civil rights lawsuit against him and his company in the 70s. You know, he was sued in 1983 for underpaying foreign workers under the table to work on Trump Tower. You know, even sports fans could, could remember back in, like, 1985 when he literally hijacked this up-and-coming sport uh, football league the United States Football League he bought a team bought into the league then he decided to you know totally rearrange the schedule and go up against the NFL he sued the NFL thinking he get a lot of money it blew up in his face and the league was totally destroyed I mean like well, he's nicknaming her crooked Hillary and he's more crooked than anybody and he is going to and he's already starting to you know, break pro- break the promises that he made, or he's going to hurt the and he's going to hurt the continue to hurt the people that he that put him into power, which is yeah. And do they notice? Who knows? Like, in, no. I mean, people are starting to. I mean, his approval ratings I think are lower than I think any sitting president. But I think they're pretty con- they're pretty uh, consistent within the his his base. Like, it's like his base is with that core twenty five percent or so. Yes, but I think again at the end of the day, it was a lot of people just you know towing the party line. Yeah. And that responsibility falls on the Republican Party for allowing this to happen to devolve to this level where you can elect that that you're the, mo- the most viable candidate you have is and Trump really wasn't a Republican I mean he's been everything um, right. he chose the Republican Party to run on because he never would have made it within the Democratic Party um, he was the you know at the forefront of the birther movement against Obama and whether or not he believes all of this or whether or not he saw an opportunity or both um, remains unseen, and uh, frankly, I don't think really matters at this point. Right. Ultimately, it's about protecting our country from the fact that it was infiltrated. Our election was infiltrated by Russia. Right, and, and that's... that didn't become. I think that's uh, at the end of the day, the fact that that didn't blow up more as a story, and still isn't. It, I mean, it's like, starting. It, it, the, the story is, but people aren't getting. I mean, where is the outrage? I mean, okay, so Carl Bernstein of Woodward and Bernstein, the team that did the investigative work that wouldn't let up, that finally got to the point where Nixon had to eventually resign. He was talking about this, and one thing that always, one of the few, one of the many things that he said that always sticks with me is... But, but what we really need to look at right now are the conflicts of interest. Uh, if Hillary Clinton had been the president of the United States and had the conflicts of interest, patent, obvious conflicts of interest that Donald Trump as there would be already a congressional investigation and it would lead to something horrible. Well, and that was maybe two weeks into the administration. And he's right. Can you imagine what the Republicans would be doing right now? No, I, I, I agree. But again, we're not, we don't have very much power right now. And so that power has to be strategically executed. Additionally, I mean, there is, the investigation is ongoing. They're collecting that evidence, that, you know, and they're not going to act until but who they is? have enough evidence in order, in order to move forward. Flynn coming forward, that's big news. You mean asking that's for immunity? Things, I, I, yeah, I think this is going to, again, I, I don't have a crystal ball, and I'm not a betting, a betting woman, but I do think that this could move very quickly. It doesn't feel quickly. This may have been the longest two and a half months <laughs> right, <laughs> right. life. It's a, it's a debacle. I was, I mean, terrified when he won. Um, and there's, you know, plenty. I'm not necessarily saying that he doesn't want to concentrate power in himself. 
I don't think that he necessarily has the intellectual ability. You have a group of people who don't really know government. They don't know how government works. And I think they're far more incompetent than any of us even right. hopeful day. Or I shouldn't even say hopeful. I mean, ho- hopefully we would like the country to do well. It didn't seem possible, given what you know anybody who'd really read up on this and had followed this on November 8th, November 9th, 2016, a good outcome for America and all of this didn't seem possible. The best outcome right now is that whatever happened to our country with a foreign power that we... <laughs> Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is where I get um, a little bit, you know, flabbergasted. I mean, it's horrifying because this is not a Republican or a Democratic issue. Mm-hmm. This is America. This is our country. This is something that matters far more than party affiliation. Right. Our election was hacked by a foreign entity. That foreign entity also happens to have tremendous beef with Hillary Clinton. The hater. Putin... Putin and Hillary had that's and that didn't get a lot of coverage either. If you really want, he hates her. She called into question the validity of his last ele- of his election because it's totally suspect. She's tough, and she was, you know, and that's the. I mean, she was far tougher exactly. than Obama was. Well, and that's the thing, and yet they're talking about that tough guy. Who's going to be tough with Putin? It's like, uh, who's been tough with Putin, and who is refusing to to even say anything about Putin, even a criticism of the fact that he's murdered people. And the other, again, in July, when he came out on that stage and goes, you know, about the hacking Russia, if you're listening, that didn't, you know, ring some bells for everyone that, you know, this is larger than not liking Hillary Clinton. This is larger than not liking the Democratic Party. This is longer um, than loving, this is larger than loving Bernie Sanders. But there has been some sort of breakdown in our basic ability to get along and our basic politeness. Right. That that we have to deal with, I think, just on a, you know, a cultural level. And I do think you know, social media and reality TV have played a large part in this. Well, that it's... if you're constantly inundated with images of people engaging at like, the lowest possible moral, be- you know, like moral behavior that they can engage in, that's been like, glorified on television. It's social media has given an outlet for everybody to you know, yell at each other and say without having the consequences people are looking and, you know, um, say something and they see the reaction behind a screen, it's a lot easier to insult and be cruel. Mm-hmm. Of course. Because you're not going to have, and it, it's de- our addiction to the technology is decreasing our empathy. And that is, that is truly frightening more than anything else that is going on, that we've allowed ourselves as a collective as a country, and, a, and I believe Americans, I mean, we are good, hardworking people, and we stand for something, that we have gotten to the point where, and I don't think any of us, if we like, you know, the people who are doing all the, you know, who say these nasty things or are condoning this, if you get one-on-one, nobody's going to behave like this. Mm-hmm. But because Including of what Trump. happened, inclu- well, maybe not. Uh, well, <laughs> you, you, people say that when you're, he's off camera, and he's like hosting... Off camera, that's fair. Okay, that's, that's a... That nuance I'll take. But that's not good enough, frankly, to be president of the United States. But no, anyway, go I ahead. mean, he's not, he's, not, he's not good enough to be president no. of the United States. I mean, I heard um, you know, somebody was describing this earlier on the um, news. As it's really the paradigm example, just with him winning, of the underqualified man beating out the highly qualified woman for the job. I thought that was a really beautifully succinct way to put it in terms of the, like, one of the major you know, themes of sexism in the election. Right, and, when you, well, and you, here's the thing, and this is what I'll, this is kind of what I, I hope to God, and I'm not convinced of it yet, but this is what I hope 
comes from this is that when people think back, I mean, if you read the book Game Change or even the book Double Down by um, the two, the John Heilman and Mark Halpern, the two journalists who covered the 2008 and 2012 election, especially Game Change, when you find out not just, I mean, we all saw Sarah Palin give that interview to Kitty Couric and just totally talk nonsense. I mean, it became clear that she was beyond unqualified. But when you read that book and you find out what was going on behind the scenes, you truly, at least I did, you feel scared. She could have even yeah. possibly been vice president. But yeah. after reading oh, that, that was, book, I think that was the beginning of this. But well, after reading that book, you think to yourself, you get scared that it was even that she even was was chosen as the running mate, but then you feel relieved that it was exposed how unqualified she was and they lost. So then you think, okay, well, so we know that we came that close. I can't believe we ever came that close. Right. At least we got I, past I, it. I, there was an understanding with that, that while it's scary that someone that unqualified could become a nominee, they would never actually win because for one reason or another, something would come along and happen that would prevent it. Well, that theory goes out the window in 2016. John McCain, I have such respect for him. He's a war hero. He's such a statesman. Um, that was a, I mean, an incredibly questionable decision. They didn't vet her, right? I believe that's like part of the, you know, backstory. Right. I mean, it was they like were, you know, they took a four months worth of vetting and did it in two weeks. And that I do, I do think that was kind of like the crack that led to. It was a political decision. Entire, right. The entire system starting to break down. Right. That 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 somebody of her capabilities, or you know, was allowed to reach that level by people who are legitimate and are patriots and statesmen that was and it a kind terrible of mistake. i mean like trump's never been honest he's always said whatever he wants to say and then he'll say something else the next day but you know when you think of how her resigning as governor and in this in her resignation speech talking about how she wants to be in a position where she can actually help the people of alaska so i'm quitting as governor it's kind of like that's when the whole like up is down, black is white thing kind of started getting in the water supply and people were just like, okay, I'll believe anything. Um, but And she's had her own reality TV show since, right? Yeah, yeah, it failed. I mean, the ratings weren't great. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, she's well, she's everywhere. You know, she's all over the place. But I mean, and again, a lot of this says more about the fact that our education system is failing. Not that Betsy DeVos can do very much for that. No. And as Carl Bernstein puts it, the Republican Party is allowing this to happen. Damn straight. And I hope yeah. you know he does say over and over again that he he feels the heroes in Watergate were the Republicans because they eventually had to get to a point where they said, you know what, this is obviously. Uh, you know, unscrupulous stuff going on here, and we have to take a stand. And they did. It was Barry Goldwater who went to the White House and said to Richard Nixon, "Like you, you have to go. Like you have to go." Can you imagine anyone doing to that to Donald Trump? It's going to have to. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. I mean, we have there are a few people. I mean, John McCain has been. But what about Devin Nunes? Like that's the thing. I don't know if I trust. I mean, I certainly don't trust the congressional. Graham has been fabulous with the <laughs> with on Russia. Yeah, yeah, but. Does he have... I do think that eventually it will get to the point that the approval rating will get too low, or I, you know, I'm hopeful that well, something's the approval out there. rating will drop as things continue to come out with Russia, because again... And they are, and they will... And they are, and they will. That it's, it's going to be the decision of you're either not going to get reelected or you're going to have to get the, you're going to have to take some sort of action to impeach him. Right. Well... Depending on what comes out. I mean, I do think this Flynn coming forward is one of the... Is 
very hopeful. Now, okay, because we have only have a little more time. But what? Because a lot of people are criticizing the idea that he's asking for immunity. Like, I mean, he ha- he is on the record of saying, if you're asking for immunity, you're probably guilty of a crime, which we all know he is multiple crimes. I mean, the fact that. But then again, it's a means to an end at this point. Whatever, as long as our right. country comes out on top. And but will it? Let's say Trump, or excuse me, when Trump gets impeached or has to resign. Let's say that Mike Pence, because Mike Pence keeps saying that he had no idea that Mike Flynn was, you know, dealing with Turkey. He had no idea about any of this, which seems impossible because he was in charge of the transition team. He was supposed to know that was kind of his job to know stuff like that. So it seems truly impossible that he didn't know anything about this Michael Flynn nonsense. So let's say he is kind of found to have, in some way or another, been in on this whole scheme and he has to go as well then what happens does it go to paul ryan do we follow those you know usual protocols of the next in line okay so hillary clinton see that's what makes me so angry it's like so who are we left with in the end it's either going to be donald trump wants to privatize right it's like donald trump mike pence or paul ryan it's like tweedle it's just they're all it's like worse bad and 2018 is critical again the map is completely gerrymandered but voter turnout and there's another fact in terms of 2018 that people are not taking into consideration is that if the Republicans pick up a few more seats, they'll be able to amend the Constitution. And that can't be allowed, given what no. the current demographic is. Uh, all right. Well, so 2018 is absolutely critical. I will say, like, I'm, we are truly missing out on having a great president. With that said, you'll notice that our country has a trend where you have a more progressive um leader for a while we tend to swing back the other way that's sure. kind of how we go yes and but so i hope those two things i hope that this would be uh, an exception to that rule because of oh who, well, i mean i think that this is he's still i mean you've had you know there can be one term president <laughs> well or <laughs> less than one or term. less right um so before you go do you want to uh plug was there a project that you have coming up that you wanted to plug may 25th Oh, sure, yes. So um, my committee, or not my committee, but the committee, or I'm the chairwoman of a committee, the Committee on Drugs and the Law at the New York City Bar Association. We are having an event on May 25th at 6 p.m. in the Great Hall here in wonderful Manhattan. And we are going to be looking at, we have a great panel lined up. Promotions will start going up shortly to look at the what's going to happen with drug policy under the Trump administration. So my PEP project, or you know what I work on in my quote-unquote spare time, my pro bono work, is criminal justice reform and drug policy. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we'll put all that info on our website, and um, hopefully, yeah, people can take a look and come out. It's going to be a great event. Come. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this, Dara. I know you probably have to get up early for work tomorrow, so we appreciate you staying on and being... I'm I'm glad to be on. I wish we ended up uh, analyzing the entire... (laughs) I know, I know. I'm sorry. We kind of... Kind of got off on the weeds. No, it was great to be here. Um, well, hopefully we can have you back sometime. So I would love that. All right. Well, thanks so much. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Have a great rest of the show. Thanks. All right. So you're listening to that was Zara Levin-Flagasso. She was a volunteer lawyer for the Hillary Clinton campaign, and we're going to put all the information up about her upcoming event on May 25th. We will have that on our website. You can find that on our Facebook page as well, which is facebook.com backslash nbt radio you are listening to the next best thing on radio free brooklyn and we will be right back